Today's scripture comes from 2 Chronicles, chapter 6, verses 22 to 31. If someone sins against another and is required to take an oath, and comes and swears before your altar in this house, may you hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing their conduct on their own head, and vindicating those who are in the right by rewarding them in accordance with their righteousness. When your people Israel have sinned against you, are defeated before an enemy, but turn again to you, confess your name, pray and plead with you in this house. May you hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to them and to their ancestors. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, and then they pray toward this place, confess your name, and turn from their sin because you punish them. May you hear in heaven, forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk, and send down rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is plague, blight, mildew, locust, or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in any of the settlements of their lands, whatever suffering, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea from any individual or from all your people, Israel, all knowing their own suffering and their own sorrows so that they stretch out their hands toward this house. May you hear from heaven, your dwelling place, forgive and render to all whose heart you know according to all their ways, for only you know the human heart. Thus may they fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our ancestors. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can you imagine what would happen if the Federal Highway Administration came out with a report? And I'm just making this up. This isn't real. But let's just say the Federal Highway Administration reports that they discovered that driving on the right side of the road is linked to 50% more accidents than driving on the left side of the road. And so at midnight tonight, all of the roads all across our nation will be shut down and they'll stay closed all evening. And then tomorrow at 6 a.m., our roads will open back up, but we will all now be required to drive on the left side of the road. Can you imagine what a shift like that would do to our minds and our behaviors and our sense of coordination? Well, I'm not sure exactly all of the reasons that this happened, but this is exactly what happened in Sweden in 1967. Swedes went to bed one evening as left side of the road drivers, roads shut down, and then when the roads opened back up the next morning, Swedes were required to drive on the right side of the road. Now, the government had been, you know, preparing the nation for a little bit of time, but in a matter of one night, the changes took effect, and now everything about how they drive had changed. Now, drivers from that day reported chaos, 
While the number of accidents and injuries reported was actually miraculously low, it seems, drivers reported feeling anxious and uncoordinated. And what they said was that while they kind of trusted, at least a little bit, their own ability to stay on the right side of the road, like, okay, I know what I'm doing, but as they approached cars driving in opposite directions, their anxiety went up. They weren't quite sure that that car coming towards them was on the correct side of the road. Did that driver know what they were doing? And they were anxious, and it didn't feel good to the drivers on the road. You see, the practice of driving ingrains in us specific behaviors and muscle memory. Kind of like walking and riding a bike. We start to do it, and we don't even think about it at some point. We just do it. And so to just change up driving the patterns and the muscle memory overnight causes what sociologists have named coordination dilemma. It's clumsiness. Sort of like that feeling that we all get from time to time when we're walking down a road, pavement, a sidewalk, and we see someone walking towards us in the same lane that we're in. And as we get closer, we're thinking to ourselves, should I go left? Should I go right? Are they going to go left? Are they going to go right? What's going to happen here? And so in times of change, especially big changes that challenge our, our ingrained behaviors and our muscle memory, like the changes happening in our world today, in our church today, and the changes that our scripture is referencing, in times of change like that, coordination dilemma is very common. And so if you are feeling clumsy right now with all of the changes happening in our church, in our world, in your workplace, in schools, whatever change might be happening in your life, if you're feeling clumsy, it's okay. You're not alone. I personally take comfort in knowing that the world has a rich history of people adapting to all sorts of change, big and small. So we, as God's church, as God's people, as citizens in a world that is changing, we're going to walk through this season, perhaps feeling clumsy, maybe bumping into each other from time to time, stepping on each other's toes. But we will walk through this together if we follow God's lead. And together we will establish new rhythms and patterns and norms, ones that will work for us in this chapter in history. Now, our scripture today is taken from King Solomon's prayer. He was dedicating, he was praying before he dedicated the temple to God. You see, Israel, God's chosen people, were living in the midst of change of seismic proportions. Quite literally, actually. They were in the midst of building the temple. We are told A few verses uh, prior to our passage for today, we're told that King Solomon hired 70,000 laborers, 80,000 stonecutters, and 3,600 people to oversee the building of the temple. Now, to put that in some perspective, the Pentagon, which is considered the the world's largest low-rise office building, was constructed by 15,000 workers. The temple that Solomon was building was massive. And it was a massive change for God's people as well. It wasn't just the building that was massive. Prior to this temple being built, 
And the temple was going to be this large, firm, fixed location where God's presence would reside, where sacrifices and prayers would be offered. Prior to the temple being built, God's location was more agile as the Ark of the Covenant would move from place to place with the Israelites as they followed God's lead. But now the Israelites were shifting from this tent life to temple life. And I imagine they were experiencing some level of coordination dilemma as they worked out not just the building, but how their relationship to God and to place and to people and to rituals and to worship, how all of that would shift in this change. The prayer that Solomon reads in our passage really centers on forgiveness. If you read it, stanza by stanza, it is all about, he's basically saying, hey God, I know that we have messed up in the past. Here's some specific ways that we have messed up. And I know that we will likely mess up again. But please, God, forgive us. It is a beautiful prayer. And forgiveness is definitely needed in abundance, especially during times of change when we're apt to bump into each other and step on each other's feet. But I didn't choose today's passage because of the prayer. Rather, I chose it for two reasons. Because Israel, the changes that they were walking through in this passage make the changes that we are moving through pale in comparison. And also, I chose it because in verse 28, Solomon mentions plagues and locusts. And for some reason, likely the obvious, the fact that we are in the midst of a global pandemic and we just experienced the 17-year cicadas, that verse grabbed my attention. Lots of change happening, and also plagues and locusts. Now, just recently, I was walking past one of my bookshelves. I love books. I have a lot of bookshelves. Um, There are some things I can part with easily. I don't like stuff, but I love books. And as I was walking past one of my bookshelves, I felt my eyes move toward a theology book that I had read almost a decade ago. But it's a book that was really forward-thinking at the time. And as my eyes passed this particular book, I felt a small voice inside of me say, hey, pick that up and read it again. Now, this is a book that I have read over and over again, different parts of it, over the course of the past 10 years, And I thought perhaps I was just going to reread some of the main points, some of the ideas that that had really resonated with me and stuck with me. However, that's not what happened. Embedded in a footnote, I found something that I had either read previously and completely forgotten or never read at all. Footnotes are funny like that, right? You can either take them or leave them. I'm not sure. But I did not remember reading the words in this footnote. So I was reading uh, a chapter on the Great Reformation. And the Great Reformation was a time period approximately 500 years prior to where we are at now. And it's a period in the church's history where there was a lot of turbulence and frustration. And there was rejection, some rejection of the Catholic church norms and authority 
And there was a push for a more authentic form of church. Relatable, perhaps. Now, in modern day, we often mark the Reformation in history books as occurring on October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the doors of the Wittenberg Castle. 1517. However, if you study history, you know that changes had been underway for a couple hundred years before Martin Luther nailed his theses to the castle doors. That, what Martin Luther was doing, was the watershed moment. But the pressure had been building for quite some time, and change was about to take hold. We think we have problems in the United Methodist Church, which was a church not even established until the 1960s. We think we have problems perhaps in the Southern Baptist Church and the Catholic Church and all of the other denominations that are out there. And we do. We do, brothers and sisters. We have big, real problems in our institutional religious bodies today. However, we aren't special. And our issues around truth and authority and structure and power, they are far from new. In fact, in the 13 and 1400s, there was so much infighting in the Roman Catholic Church that there was actually a long period of time where there were two popes. There was even one time where there were three popes that were claiming authority in the church which if you study papal succession, that, that's not possible even according to their doctrine. And yet there it was, three different popes saying that they were the official pope of the Catholic Church. But anyway, back to the footnote. As I was reading about all of the social and the economic and the political and the military and the religious changes that were underway in the years leading up to the Great Reformation... I read this, and I'm going to read to you the footnote, and keep in mind this book was written in 2007. Quote, Labeled by historians as pandemics, there had been only three recorded ones prior to modern times. The first occurred in the 5th and 6th centuries, the second between the 8th and 10th century, and the third was the devouring distress commonly known as the Black Death in the 13 and 1400s. The Black Death was rampant across the known world during all the years of the entire Great Reformation. The result of such devastation and human vulnerability was, and inevitably is, a generalized reconsideration of the efficacy of the church and the worth of the resources extended to it. I'll read that again. The result of devastation and human vulnerability, can we relate, was and inevitably is a generalized reconsideration of the efficacy of the church and the worth of the resources extended to it. She goes on. Whether the recurrence of pandemics simultaneously with the recurrence of ecclesial upheavals is pure coincidence or whether there are some other connections is for a later and more adequately informed time to determine. At this moment, 2007, 
All that can be said is that there is a co-occurrence between history's pandemics and times of reformation in the church. End of quote. That is found on page 60 in Phyllis Tickle's book, Emergent Christianity. My mind was blown. Why hadn't I read this before? Was it just that it was a really long footnote and I'm like, yeah, I'll get back to that later? I don't know. I had previously grasped how, how the bigger societal shifts moving from the industrial revolution to the information age, to the space age and the hyper-connected age that we're in, how those shifts were drastically impacting change around our world. I was able to grasp how globalization, how we are connected with people near and far in very close ways, how that is leading to drastic shifts in society but I never knew that pandemics were the other variable. And yet, here we are. In the same book, Phyllis Tickle talks about how the church holds a massive rummage sale every 500 years. We've talked about that before here. And during these 500-year rummage sales, the church will toss out what is no longer needed or beneficial for God's church. The church will hold on to what it believes is the golden thread, God's timeless truths and God's timeless call on God's people and the purpose of the church. And the church in these 500 periods often modifies her entire structure to meet God's needs in that particular time in history. And if the Great Reformation was underway at least 200 years before its formal time marker, then we, friends, are practically eyeballs deep in our own 500-year shift. Change has been underway for several decades, probably longer. We can feel it often before we can see it or name it. Leading and living and navigating our faith through change is exciting, but it can also be confusing. We might have trouble finding our footing. We might not be sure who or what to trust. But history speaks to us. Perhaps even comforts us. Our scripture passage for today, King Solomon was moving from a wandering tent model to a centralized temple model. Big presence. And then prophets challenged the injustices of that model. And God's people were exiled. And then they came back. Hopefully they learned some lessons and they rebuilt. And then Jesus arrived and he destroys the temple model. And he puts in its place the body of Christ model, empowered by his spirit. And then life goes on, and there are vies for power, and the church takes different forms and, and shapes. And 500 years after Jesus, the church has its monastic model period. The desert monks, they're tired of the noise and the chaos and the fighting and the violence, and they take everything they believe to know true about God, and they move out in search of a quieter, contemplative life. And the church reforms. And then 500 years later, 
the church again in the midst of bigger societal changes experiences the east and west split out of that we have the roman catholic church and the eastern orthodox church where is truth where is god and then 500 years after that took us to the printing press and the age of the enlightenment and the protestant reformation and the protestant reformation challenged one centralized model by inadvertently building several more <laughs> and now today once again we are living through hinge times and i'm one of the weird people that enjoy that it's exciting to live through history in the making brothers and sisters friends and neighbors we are blessed to be living through such turbulent times because it is in times like this that we are being offered a very special gift we are being offered opportunities to reform to reconnect to recommit and to reengage in our primary purpose as God's church and as God's people in this world and i imagine you are being offered this opportunity in other areas of your life as well because again these bigger societal shifts don't happen in a vacuum so my hope today is that you take comfort away from this message comfort in realizing as the author of ecclesiastes says there is nothing new under the sun It's God's word I believe it to be true there is nothing new under the sun history repeats itself in new ways but God is always present and God is unchanging so as we live and lead through change as we navigate our faith in the season of change take heart take rest take time take what you need to stay healthy and hydrated and safe and centered on God's unchanging truths this season and maybe even the next season might feel uncomfortable it might look or sound or even smell different than we are used to but there is a very good chance that we are just seeing something old become something new again perhaps in a pruned form perhaps more greatly reflecting what god needs it to reflect something old becoming something new again present it in new wrapping or new packaging with new lessons learned and in a position to do what god needs us to do in this day and age from tent life to temple life in the birth of the church through modern day in every circumstance you could ever find yourself in the church in your professional life in your home life where god leads where our unchanging god leads god will equip in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit Amen.